The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he bent me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If it's Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose, and he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt, and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mentioned a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name and happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. Hello and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I am your host, JP John Paz. Of course, with me today is a very, very special guest. He's a musician, a singer, a songwriter, but maybe most importantly, a former member of the WCW Creative Booking Committee. He is, of course, the legendary Bob Mould. Bob, welcome. Hey, John. How are you doing? Doing good. Thank you for having me on the show. Can't wait to can't wait to chat. Very cool to kind of have you on. What's going on in your world? Obviously, I know you got a lot of music stuff going on, right? You're back on tour. Yeah, so um, I am between solo electric tours right now. Um, just for, I guess, people who maybe don't know my music history, um, I started, you know, performing on stages in 1979. My first group was called Husker Du, sort of a hardcore punk band that sort of morphed into uh, an alternative rock band when they came up with that term later in the 80s. And uh, that's where I started music, then went on to do some solo recordings, uh, went on to start a group called Sugar in the 90s that was pretty popular, did a lot of electronic music in the 2000s, a lot of DJ stuff. And over the last decade, I've come back to the, the loud electric rock stuff. Uh, you know, I'm constantly putting out new records, uh, constantly touring with, with bands. And now this year touring, uh, what I call solo electric, which is just me and the electric guitar and an amp and playing, uh, you know, some more intimate clubs and small theaters all over the world, I guess this year, uh, just about to start up some dates, uh, in the Northeast in the in may and then uh in june be over in the uk and then back over to the u.s for uh, some more touring in the fall so yeah that's that's what i do and that's when i'm doing it 
How is it like kind of getting back out there? I know obviously the pandemic kind of screwed uh, a bunch of things up, but how's it like getting back out there and doing some touring again? Uh, well, I was able to get out and do some band touring last fall. Uh, uh, my rhythm section, John Worcester and Jason Narducci and myself, and uh, we had two crew people and we did a 15 city tour of North America in September of last year. And I don't know how we did it, but we were able to get all the shows to play as advertised and uh did a little bit in october and now this year uh it's it's a challenge i mean you know a lot of the prior restrictions you know uh you know proof of vaccination and or masking you know in in some parts of the country that has disappeared now so it's a it's a little wild west at the moment but uh, you know we're doing what we can do to you know, to entertain people and stay healthy and safe. And it's a, it's a work in progress, you know, um, you know, still trying to be, still trying to be mindful, you know, of, of COVID and trying to be, you know, trying to create as safe an environment as possible for people seeing as we're indoors and, and such, but yeah, it's, uh, it's different, but you know, we're, we're trying to, trying to carry on as best we can. When you initially got into like the music business, I mean, we're talking back in the day, were you equally a big of a wrestling fan as you were like in, into your passion of, of music or like how did that kind of weigh against each other? Oh my gosh. I have a lifelong, uh, life, lifelong wrestling fan. And I guess an erstwhile student of the business. Um, my early recollections of pro wrestling, I, I, I grew up in the Adirondacks in upstate New York, very, very close to Montreal. So my exposure to wrestling was the promotional wars in the early seventies in Montreal. And I mean, that was a, that was an incredible heyday for pro wrestling. You know, the Bashans, Rougeau's, you know, talent coming in from all over the place as those two companies were battling for, you know, supremacy in the Montreal market. You know, and also started watching WWF, you know, I guess in the mid seventies when cable started to, you know, proliferate around the country. And then uh, when I moved to the twin cities in 1978 to go to college and also to start my first band, Husker Du, I started watching the AWA wrestling, which was based in the twin cities. And uh, that's the, that's the time frame where I started to learn about the business. Um, so yeah, that's I guess my my initial you know journey as a as a wrestling fan, and then uh, you know getting to you know in the Twin City, starting to uh, you know get to know people that worked it for the AWA, and you know started getting into the business a little bit up there. Um, I guess the interesting overlap between music and wrestling a, a couple key things um back in 82 83 uh had friends around the the country that were into hardcore punk but also into pro wrestling and all of us got together and put out uh, a fanzine called hardcore wrestling back in the 80s and it was it wasn't it wasn't like an observer type or mat watch kind of you know newsletter it was more of a more of a big a big fanzine that looked like punk rock but it was about pro wrestling so that was 
one thing that I did early on with friends and I guess another sort of overlap of note was a fellow of the late Jim Melby, who was a, you know, a historian and worked for the AWA, worked, you know, on the Wrestling Review and Wrestling Monthly as well. Uh, Jim was the person who sort of smartened me up to the business and would take me along for, uh, take me along on spot shows, you know, and I'd always, I would end up ring announcing the Battle Royals because Jim would have to referee them. <laughs> so, wow. So I guess that's how I sort of learned, uh, you know, that a 20 minute Broadway is not always exactly 20 minutes and stuff like that. <laughs> that's awesome, though. The uh, Jim Melby, obviously legend, uh, you know, in his own right. But man, I didn't know you had like that kind of a deep history in the business. Uh, yes. I mean, Jim. Uh, yeah. Jim sort of, you know, slowly smartened me up, you know, eventually brought me around to you know, to hang out with like Kurt Hennig or Scott Hall or, you know, go out to dinner with Wally Carbo and, you know, sort of get the, get the, you know, the, the look behind the curtain and, you know, early, early kayfabe, kayfabe, don't, don't talk about it kind of, you know, approach. So, yeah. Uh, uh, and a funny thing is Jim, Jim was a very good friend and he was also, uh, Jim was, he was also a huge music fan and he worked in, uh, in music retail and uh, there was a lot of overlap there. And, and also my first band, Husker Du, we actually brought Jim Melby out as our tour manager for a couple of weeks on a, on a Northeast run. And it was funny because Jim, Jim didn't have a driver's license and typically, you know, a tour manager will do a fair amount of the driving, but Jim was, uh, he was great company. He, he, he even had a gimmick. He was Diamond Jim Melby. He was our tour manager that would go in and settle. He had a little diamond earring. So that was, that was Jim's gimmick when he tour managed to Skirdu. And that's uh, great. Yeah. So, so, you know, we, we gave Jim a, you know, we gave him a look at our business from behind the curtain and he, you know, smartened me up to pro wrestling and he introduced me to, to different people. And, one person uh, Jim introduced me to in 1987 was a fellow named Gary Jester, who I'm sure a lot of your listener, your wrestling listeners know. Oh, yeah. You know, was a longtime Northeast promoter and then, you know, booked a lot of the buildings for WCW, uh, you know, up until, I guess, up until the, the sale in, in 2001. So, yeah, so that was the, you know, by knowing Jim led me to Gary and then, you know, from 87 until 99, when I went to WCW, um, I spent time with a lot of people in the, you know, in the business down there, you know, with, you know, I knew Ole, I knew Kip Fry, you know, I knew Jim Hurd. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, you know, met Terry Taylor and Kevin Sullivan, I think, you know, in, in that time in the nineties, you know, met Kevin, I think in 91 or 92 and met Terry, I think like in 96. So, I mean, I knew a lot of, you know, and spent a lot of time with Jim Barnett over the years, um, you know, talking about the business and yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, yeah, I guess I had, I guess I had deep history with wrestling before, uh, before I got the call in the fall of 99. Did you ever like want to get into the business before then? Like, were you ever, I know like were you're kind of in it a little bit, but did you ever say, ah, you know, screw this music thing. I'm going to get into wrestling full time. Was that ever a thought process? No, I mean, I, I, I mean, I was a huge fan, huge student, you know, read the sheets, you know, 
to have you know a lot of a lot of people over the years that you know shared so much knowledge you know people like les thatcher you know spent you know learned a lot you know spending time with less people like that but um never thought about letting go of music to take on wrestling but in 1999 when i got the call that was during a downtime for me i had just finished a lot of heavy touring throughout most of the 90s and i was taking some time away from music so when i got the when i got the call you know in september of 99 to you know to be part of the you know creative team i jumped right on it because i was you know i i was off the road and and you know between album cycles i guess you know is, is how i would refer to it so um no i never thought about bagging music but i had music was a little bit on hold when i got the call so it all worked out the timing was good so how do you get the call and who do you get the call from well i got the call from from uh from gary um if my memory serves me right, uh, I think it was right when Eric Bischoff was taking a leave of absence. And they, I, I believe that was when Bill Bush, who was more on the financial side, ended up becoming the sort of acting executive vice president of the company uh gary had mentioned me to bill he had mentioned me to jj dylan uh i knew kevin sullivan already um and gary reached out and said you know things are in flux would you be at all interested in coming in and you know trying to help with creative and I said, oh, sure, let me know, let me know where to be and what to bring and what I should do and what, more importantly, what I shouldn't do. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I got brought into a, whatever the September pay-per-view was in North Carolina. I can't Fall remember. Fall Brawl. Fall Brawl. Yep, so I think that was that was my first show in and I just sat in the truck for most of the show with Bill Bush and we were watching you know and sitting and I I knew Keith Mitchell as you know but I knew him before you know the fall of 99 so I just went in and sat and we watched the show and talked about stuff and ideas and the next day I think was TV and at the Dean the whatever the UNC Chapel Hill building I think was and I think that was the sting, the sting turn that never happened, that never yeah. fully happened. <laughs> yes. yes. And uh, I, I just remember that nitro, you know, Bill was like, you know, Bill Bush was like, you got all these great ideas. So let's see, let's see, let's see how they go down with a few of the guys. So he brings in Hogan. <laughs> oh, boy. So, yeah, see, brother. Um, so he wanted me to pitch something to Hogan that day. And I was like, uh, well, how about this and this and this? If we do segment one and this and this. You know, and I'm I'm in over my head, right? And Hogan's just looking at me like, "Who the hell are you?" <laughs> he didn't know you though, like from your musician world. He didn't know you. No, he did not. Uh, yeah. Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart did. There were other people that did, but uh, I don't. I don't think Hulk did. I think he maybe somebody told him after we talked, because he was he was he was nice to me for the duration after that. But I think that first 
you know, that first sort of here's 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 a cold pitch. Here's what here here's what I'd like you to do today. Uh, that yeah. did not, yeah. That, that so the that's the biggest what, star of all time. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what you. That's what that was. That was what you don't do. <laughs> <laughs> that's great though. Like, would you remember what you pitched him or what you said to him or no? Uh, well, it was it was it was ostensibly that the 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 sting turn. So you know, to me, it would be Sting and Luger come down. Sting goes for the cheap heat with you know. The Dean, the Dean Dome, the Dean Dump, blah, blah, blah. You know, that stuff. Mm-hmm. Hogan comes down, tries to issue a challenge. You know, Brett, Brett would have his back, you know, and, you know, right there was the moment where I was like, uh, I'm in over my head. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, but you live and learn, but things got, things got better after that. But uh, yeah, what a, what a way to get tossed into it. So that was that was the first day on the job, and then I guess the next day would have been a thunder taping, and then Wednesday would have been back to Atlanta, and that was how I I guess that was the first day in the in the writing room with everybody that was there at the time. So is your well, like I guess the idea was you wanted Sting to turn heel. That wasn't like the the committee. That was your idea. No, that was already in place. Okay. So so my idea was just riffing off of the direction that had already been established. You know, as I was watching the show in the truck, that was the the sting turn was already had already happened. And it was just, you know, my idea was, well, of course, with segment one, we start with that. You know, that's the that's the big story coming out of the pay-per-view. So somebody had also already decided that. But I think Sting, you know, never really warmed up to it. So that was that was where that one fell flat. Yeah, that was pretty much, and then uh, Russo ends up coming in, and then like that's the end of Sting as a heel. I remember they had that one video package where it was like it was his plan the whole time, and they orchestrated this whole video package to make it seem like it was an elaborate thing. Then all of a sudden he was a babyface again. Yeah, that was all above my pay my pay scale. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you got to check with Stinger if you know if if. Yeah, or, or any really wrestler, right? Especially uh, that ilk. It's like you gotta um, maybe check with them first. Uh, yeah. Well, that was that was the that was the direction that was in place when I when I arrived. So I was like, well, I I'm assuming somebody talked to Sting, but yeah, yep. Um, yeah. All he was, I think, I think Sting was always reluctant to be a to be a heel generally, and right, you know, rightfully so. But but yeah, so you know, there was those two. You know, there was that pay per view, there was that Nitro, there was that Thunder, and then the Wednesday was going back to Atlanta and going into the writing room. And I think that was before Vince was there, before Vince Russo arrived. There was a like a three to four week period, if I'm not mistaken, where yep. everything was in flux and nobody knew who was doing what, and it was a confusing time. And I I, I think a little bit of that confusion showed in the product um you know i think the one thing of note that we were able to do i think right before vince russo and and ed and and bill showed up and terry taylor showed up was uh the uh the brett uh and benoit match in kansas city that was that was something that we came up with and i thought that that was a really a really nice thing that we did and i think we handled that situation really well you know sort of bringing harley in and kansas city and trying to you know in kemper and trying to do the right thing and you know be be respectful which you know is important to me always with the business is to 
respect the business the way it used to be. So, you know, that was that, you know, we did that. And then there was the, you know, then, you know, Dusty was there and then Dusty was gone. And I was like, where'd Dusty go? And they're like, oh, he went. And then the next week, Vince and Ed and Bill showed up and then everything changed. So. What did you think just about like the backstage environment, the politics, you know, you said it was like influx. Like, what did you think getting in there? Like, oh man, I, I didn't realize the political minefield that I was in or what was your thought process? Um, yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's one thing to be a student of the business outside of the business, but when you're in it, it's not, I don't, I don't think it's always what people think, you know, at least for me, my experience was what was, you know, similar, sort of like what you said, like, wow, there's a lot of politics here. Um, you know, I could, you, I could feel it, I guess, in catering, um, you know, a little bit, you know, there'd be like, you know, clicks all over the cafeteria, you know, as people do in all fields and walks of life. Um, you know, it was just a lot of, uh, for me, just a lot of listening, a lot of learning, being respectful, not getting too close to the talent, you know, trying to just stay back. And I, I think for that period from when I came in until, you, you know, I think it, it, it felt to me like, you know, Nash Sullivan, uh, Dusty, you know, JJ, everybody was just sort of looking at me to see what my aptitude was, what my philosophy was, and what my skill set was. And it was funny when 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 Vince and Ed came in, they, you know, Russo put me at Gorilla right away. And I was like, oh, so this is Gorilla. So you want me to do this? <laughs> And, and I had, you know, I had no experience in that at all. Yeah. I, knew, I knew what it was. I didn't know, you know, I, I knew what the, I knew what it was called, but I didn't know what you had to do. <laughs> yep. So that was, uh, so anyways, I mean, yeah, Vince and Ed came in and they put me at Gorilla and it was like, okay, I guess I need to learn this right now <laughs> on Monday. <laughs> Man, that's like throwing you right into the fire. Like, crazy yeah and i and and, and and again when i say you know skill set and things you know I'm, I'm pretty good with math i'm pretty good with numbers i'm really good with time uh i've got a pretty good memory i've got pretty good attention to detail this might sound funny i have pretty good at the time i had pretty good handwriting you know i mean to do the whiteboard you know yep. so i mean it it was just again i think they looked at sort of what I, what I could do as opposed to what I couldn't do. And they, I guess they figured I could handle gorilla and keep all the details tight. And uh, yeah, it was a little scary, but it actually worked out. And I got, I think I got really good at it really fast. And I would give almost all of that to Keith Mitchell for sort of walking me through that first show live in front of, you know, 5 million TV sets and, yeah, it was it was okay. It was wild though. What would you call like your position? Like, or did they give you a title? Uh, creative consultant. But you know that was that was my official title. But then, I mean, when I got put at Gorilla, I was sort of like, well, 
what do you, people would be like, what do you do? It's like, well, I'm, I'm a gorilla. Now I'm, I'm on the headset to, to Keith. We're watching the time code and I'm cueing the refs. So, uh, I think I'm sort of doing gorilla. <laughs> Is that like a nervous feeling? Because I, I would think like the pressure, like, oh, he can't miss time. And, and you got to make sure the wrestlers are out on time. Like, are you nervous at that point or, or are you, or are you relaxed in that position? Uh, I was cool with it. Once I, once I figured out what the, once I figured out exactly what we had to accomplish, it was easy. Um, it, you know, there would be times when, you know, segment three would run really long and I'd be like, you know, Hey, Vince Russo, we got to drop, you know, we got to, you know, how about dropping this pre-tape? Can we drop this package? We got to make up this time. Like there's no time built, you know, we got to shave so that we hit the crossover at the right time, you know, stuff like that. Once I saw how it could go wrong, you know, the first couple of times it went wrong. I was like, uh Oh, but as soon as I saw it coming, then it was like, I'd just be, Keith, we got to make up a minute somewhere. What do you think? Oh, uh, we could drop this. We could drop this. Check with Russo. Check, you know, check with the agent. You know, check with whoever the agent is, Taylor or Sullivan or Arn or whoever it was. See if we can see if we can get the time back there. So um, once I figured all that stuff out, it was it was a blast. I mean, it was nerve wracking as hell, but I was, I thought it was pretty good at juggling all that stuff on the run. When you're doing like that position where you're almost like, wow, I, I thought I was just a creative consultant. Now they're throwing me into gorilla. Now I'm doing the timing. Now, you know what I mean? Like, what was your, your thinking? Like, wow, I'm really like, you know, they have a lot of faith in me. They have a lot of trust, but man, I am, I'm knee deep in the wrestling business a lot further than I thought I was going to be. Um, it was just like holding on, holding on, holding on to a rope, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah it's sort it's sort of like you know the you know fortunately i had decades of of travel and touring and all of that under my belt so that part which would crush most humans was already second nature to me you know that idea of i will get exactly one hour of sleep before i leave for the airport yeah and I will function for 22 hours until I can get two more hours of sleep before I get on another plane to go do thunder. And we'll do that again one more night to get to Atlanta for 10 o'clock writing call. It, it, that part would break most people. So I already had that advantage, but once, I mean, I was just there to help, you know I mean? That, that at the end of the day, all I wanted to do was help. And if they put me at grill and they trusted me with that, then my goal was to be the best I could possibly be at that job. And again, Keith taught me a lot. I think he saw that I could make that stuff up on the fly and, and, and make it work. And then once, you know, and I think, I think Vince and Ed saw that I was really good with keeping the show on track and it just kept going and going. I mean, that, then it was just like, you're on the you're on the uh, you're on the treadmill with everybody, and you're just running. Yeah, so it. I never stopped to think about, you know, the implications that it was that a lot was hanging on me. I was just like, this is my job. This is I'm sitting in this chair for three hours and ten minutes, and then I'm gonna go take the world's longest piss as soon as we're off the air. So. <laughs> with like you being there. Obviously, there's some influx. He said, like, Bischoff just left and Russo and Ed come in. Like, what do you think about them 
obviously maybe changing creative too many times like do you think like okay you it's got to be like you know like a Vince McMahon situation where you get the one guy in charge he's in charge no matter what is that better off because it seemed like if you have all these creative minds in WCW it seemed like you know storylines would go flat or this would end here you know maybe too much politics it just seemed like it was definitely a whirlwind okay let me let me try to find the the right words to answer that um I think I think I think Russo and Ed came down to recreate, or uh, I think as a you know, I think they wanted to continue the 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 vibe that they had created, you know, in in WWE. Um, I you know I think history has maybe shown us that Vince McMahon always had the final say over uh, over all of the ideas that were generated um i think when vince and ed came down they were looking for you know i think they saw maybe a scenario where they weren't going to be edited or maybe they were told they weren't going to be edited i don't know that again that's above my pay scale but so i think that you know it just felt like people were trying to find find their footing and find their place uh you know i never doubted for a moment that vince russo was you know run, was going to run the show um i again he put me a gorilla so i was helping him deliver the show that he had written you know and my job was to keep it on time and hit our time cues and all that stuff uh philosophically there are things that Vince and Ed liked to do that I didn't necessarily agree with, but that wasn't my place to lean in too hard. You know, I could try to say, you know, I'm really digging this that we're doing, but can we just get a clean finish before the schmaz starts? Hmm. You know, we could still get yep. pop, 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 and then you can do all that stuff, which I think is what AEW is doing. If I'm not mistaken, that sort of looks like their motif right now. Um, so, you know, I mean, that that was all I could do, you know, was, was you know, bring those things up, you know, you know, of course, from a, a place of deference because it's Vince's show. But I would try to, you know, can't we, could we get some finishes? Do we really want to bring the main event guys out three times in the show? Because the second time they're not even getting the pop they got the first time. And the third time they're they're not even getting over like just stuff like that like structural things where i thought you know he was bringing the big guys out too many times and, and i'm sure he had a reason for it but you know so that was i guess that's where i sat with all of it you know i was trying to keep his show on track but there were a couple things where i was like yeah i just would ask if there was a better way to get there uh didn't didn't get didn't make much headway there um you know i did the 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 one the one thing in explaining all of this that goes into how a show's put together the one thing that i was given a lot of free reign with was the amount of time that each segment would get you know like you know if there was a match you know if the, if, if it was you know 
you know, really good, solid workers who could put in the time and, you know, put on a great match, I would always try to give them more time. And, you know, uh, you know, Arn Anderson would usually be the agent for those kind of matches, you know, whether it's Benoit or Malenko or, you know, the, those guys who I, who I really believed in. So, you know, I would, I would always try to give them more time and that might sound like a small thing, but it, you know, across, you know, across a number of months, that extra time does add up. So, you know, that was, that was a way that I felt like I was, you know, beyond working gorilla, that was a, a way that I felt like I could have a little bit of an effect on the product, you know, beyond, beyond what was written is I was, you know, I was, the, I was the guy that was sort of handing out the, handing out the time, you know, and, and taking, taking that and then going back to production side to make sure that we could hit all our cues and, that was that was where the that was where the ability to to do math on my feet came in handy. Pretty like amazing they're giving you or having so much faith in you to be able to do that stuff. And I like your psychology and your uh, philosophy because that's true. It's like the guy shouldn't come out as much. The good workers maybe get a little bit more time. People obviously, if if anybody watches the shows, they know like well, Benoit is really over. Like you know he's probably the best wrestler in the company. I mean, really yeah. good stuff. And then even the Bret Hart versus. Um, Benoit match you kind of were saying you had a, a large part to do with. I mean, I, I just like the philosophy and the psychology is very, not, I guess, old school in a sense, but to me, I mean, it's the right school. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's pretty tried and true. I mean, you know, all of the, 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 you know, the modern bells and whistles that, that, you know, the attitude era brought to the product, I think in, in the right dosage at the right frequencies is wonderful. And, and, you know, one of the, you know, one of the things, you know, I know, I know people love to beat Vince Russo up and, you know, there's, you know, some people have justification for it, but, you know, to be fair to Vince, he, he had so many ideas. He had ideas for everybody, which, you know, traditionally in the, the business didn't run that way. You know, it'd be, it'd be the, the six guys on top and they're sort of making their own programs and that's what you get for a couple of years that, you know, in territory days, that was a lot of, you know, how, how Vern would book or, you know, how WWF used to run. So, you know, I think it was just like trying to find, you know, for me, it would have been neat to find a balance of having something for everybody, but maybe the younger guys, when you put something, you put a gimmick on them and you try to get time for them to you know to, to not do it at the expense of your of your money programs your main event programs and you know i mean vince russo was great at coming up with characters great with storylines no doubt about you know you know really wild ideas and maybe it was just a a, a matter of how many and how often that that would have been my i guess my where i might not have seen completely eye to eye with him do you think that when like Russo leaves and they kind of, they bring Nash. I mean, Nash is kind of was booking a little before that anyway, before you even got there, but they kind of bring Nash back into the booking. Do you think it's good for like a wrestler to be in charge of the booking or is that a, a no, no, is that a bad idea? Uh, it's, there's a, inevitably going to be a conflict of interest somewhere. Um, so, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, with, you know, with my, my interpretation of it is, when you've got committee, you've got to have a leader who gets the final say. And there, 
you know, I think there could be there could be benefits to having a top talent be on committee because it sort of creates a liaison between the committee and the and the locker room. So, I mean, that's a I think that's a benefit. But yeah, I think there's obviously conflict. You know, if you've got talent that's in and they're lobbying for themselves, that that might not be the best idea. And and you know, I didn't get the sense. I think whenever whenever Kevin Nash was sort of the the last the last word, I don't think he was terribly active at that time. I think he I think he was I think when when I got there and and, and Kev was sort of calling the shots before Vince Russo got there, Kevin was not working. He was out of storyline. So that seemed okay. Um, I think the period that you're referring to would be January 2000. Yes, right. Uh, Basically, uh, Russo quits. Or actually, was Nash really booking that? Or was Sullivan booking that? That was Sullivan. That was Sullivan and Ed and myself and Bill Banks and Terry Taylor. Tony Schiavone would drop by. Jimmy Hart would drop by. Jim Barnett dropped in once or twice. But, um, I mean, I think it was Kevin Sullivan would be in charge for that that period from January till April. Uh, that was Sullivan and Ed were writing the shows. Bill was writing the, the promos and I was trying to, you know, I was at Gorilla and working with agents and trying to keep an eye on continuity from week to week and trying to keep everything focused for what we were trying to do long-term, which was to get, you know, sit up and running and get Sid past Hogan so that when Bill Goldberg was ready, that that would be the program when, you know, when Bill was healed up from the, the spark plug arm through the window. Yeah. So, you know, we were trying, and we had, a, you know, we had a destination that was six months away and a lot of it was trying to keep, you know, tr- trying to help keep everybody on track with that. So that, but that was that was Sullivan and Ed and Bill and Terry Taylor and myself and Tony Schiavone and Jimmy Hart. Yep. So Benoit, Eddie, Saturn, Malenko—they all leave. Obviously, I mean that creates a, a huge problem. Goldberg, mm-hmm. like you said, he got hurt. Bret Hart got hurt. Jeff Jarrett got hurt. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of crazy stuff is going on. It was literally like seven or eight either injuries or guys leaving all at yep. once, and it was all the top guys. I mean. It was just a really, really bad spot to be in, right? Creatively, because I mean, it's like, Terrible. wow, those guys leave and then everybody gets hurt. Terrible, yeah. So, so I think in order, there was, I mean, there was the period where I think uh, Russo and Ed had brought back Jimmy Snuka, and people were getting hurt because Jimmy was older and bigger at the time. Uh, so anybody he landed on got hurt. Uh, there was the yeah, there was the incident with Brett and Bill at Starcade, where uh, you know the the the, the misplaced uh, kick and Brett with the concussion. Then the next night was wasn't that Salisbury, Maryland Nitro NWO back together, and that's when Bill had the gimmicked glove and with the spark plug, and it didn't go through the window clean, and then he you know, bowled his way through it and messed up his arm. Then there was the Astrodome V2 
vehicular situation where I think Brett, who was working with a concussion, was in a backstage skit where he was supposed to be trying to get away in a rental car and he hit a patch of black ice in the back of the Astrodome. And that's when I went to JJ Dillon and said, I think I'm going to go home now because this is not the safest environment. And then I was away for a while. And then I got the call that Vince Russo had stepped away and they wanted to know if I would come back. And I thought about it and I said, well, I'll give it another try if you want. And that night that I came back was when uh, we put the belt on Chris Benoit when he went over Sid. Yep. And uh, I was, that was a booking meeting. We had to make that show up at the hotel the night before in a conference room. And I remember lobbying very hard for Benoit to go over Sid for the title. And uh, I convinced Sullivan that it was the right thing to do. I said, we got to, you know, this is what, I think this is what we need to do. Uh, and that's what we did. And the next night, I think I would have to go back to all my notes, which I don't have with me, but I believe the next night, uh, the two things that we wanted to accomplish on television was we had Chris booked in three matches, which was sort of against my normal logic of bringing guys out, but we were going to do a triple threat challenge where it would be three matches that Chris would run like first hour, second hour, third hour. And the third hour match, I think was a cage with Kurt Hennig, I believe. So we were going to put Chris over three guys on TV. In addition, I think, believe it was Perry and Dean that were getting the tag belts that night. But that was the night that those guys left. So they, I, I was not privy to any of the rumors or any of the scuttlebutt that people have talked about, you know, in, in, in their desire to leave. All I know is those guys went to Bill Bush and said, we, we want out. And Bill Bush said, if you don't want to be here, you should go, which I did not think was the right thing. But again, that's not my, that's not my pay scale. But as you said, yeah, that those injuries and those, those guys up and leaving. And I have been working with those guys you know, when I got there, you know, working with them on their, you know, it's Chris, Eddie, Dean, Perry, Ray, Conan, the six of them were writing their own programs. And, you know, it was, I'd been working with them and I, I believed in those guys. And when I found out they were leaving, I was sick to my stomach for days. <laughs> so yeah, I was like, not, well, there, well, there goes, there, there goes everything we, everything we tried to do in one week, they're, they're gone. Now, what do we do now? And I remember having spending a lot of time with Sullivan and JJ, just like, what if, what if, what if? You know, what if we take physical possession of the belt and we send those guys to New Japan and let the and turn it into a storyline that they've got grievance with the company and they're and they've jumped to New Japan? What if we do that for a couple months and let everybody cool off? You know, I mean, I was trying everything, you know, to 
to see if we could salvage it, but it wasn't to be. And, you know, that was the beginning of three months. That was a, a real difficult three months with the, uh, with less than, with a less than full roster to work with. Were you still there when Bischoff and Russo come together in April of 2000? You know, they basically re- changed the, the whole company. Were nope. you there for that? Nope. Um, I knew that, I knew that there was, I knew there was talk of them coming. I knew there was talk of Vince Russo coming back. We were, you know, expecting that and, and we're fine with that. When I heard that Bischoff and Russo together were coming back, I, I could see the writing on the wall and I, I, I gracefully stepped away for good at that point. Well, pretty smart, but that, that was basically the, the last time you were in WCW. So you're only really there for like six months, uh, six, seven months. Yeah. September through whatever that late March show where the, where uh where Jerry, the late Jerry too at the wall was standing and Hogan was like the wall I see the wall <laughs> <laughs> and and then I went home <laughs> It's funny because like I don't know like you could see the writing on the wall but apparently Brad Siegel couldn't see the writing on the wall right I mean he's the one that kind of put those two together but I think everyone was like how are these two going to coexist Bruce Bischoff Uh yeah that was a wild combination wasn't it <laughs> I mean, I could see it from a mile away. Like, hey, I don't know about this. Yeah. Uh, 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 again, I think it. You know, when you when you mention Brad Siegel, and we think about who's actually in charge. Uh, you know, I I think I think you know the footnote for WCW is always who was really in charge. Was the network in charge? Were the wrestling people in charge? Was the production people? Were the, was the production team in charge? No, you know, there was no final stop for anything at any at any time that I was there. I I was part of a creative, I was a creative consultant, part of a committee. I got put a gorilla. I, uh, you know, I worked with agents, and ultimately JJ was my my boss boss on paper. So that was who I always went to when it was when there was a question or a decision needed to be made. Uh, but yeah, Russo and and Bischoff, wow. What a what a volatile combination on paper and I guess in real life. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Were you surprised to hear, you know, in 2001, of obviously Marchville won that WCW was out of business and that Vince bought it? Was that a shocker to you? Yep. Total shock. I I when I when I left, I turned away from the business. You know, I, I halfway turned away. You know, I, I had no no uh no interest in trying to hold on or trying to you know i i i i I went there to help i did the best i could and when i left that was it um i taking that step away i didn't really stay on top of the the product that much um you know because i was like well i did i did what i could do but yeah i was sort of i mean i knew that something was going to happen i just didn't see it happening the way it did i don't think anybody did that was that was a crazy day it, 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 you know for me as a fan at that point i was like wow they just sort of took the took over the show in the middle of the show <laughs> and it really just uh man killed the business for for a long time to me anyway because you got to have uh you know the the burger king to mcdonald's the pepsi the coke you got to have wcw WWF. just really hurt the business for many many years not having competition yeah, yeah, no, and the and your 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 Pepsi Coke analogy is perfect, and it, it was one of the things that some of the veterans 
would talk about is the, you know, WCW was always more, you know, had a particular style of, uh, of wrestling that it, you know, the, you know, more, more of the Southern blood and guts, you know, more action oriented. And then there was the attitude era. And it was funny when, when, when Vince and Ed came down to Atlanta, there were some of, some of the veterans in the back that were saying, mark my words, Vince is going to go back towards pro wrestling now. And, and that was sort of what he did. He, you know, he, you know, it's like when, when Russo came to Atlanta and it's, and it got really out of control, Vince started tempering his stuff down and going with longer matches and, you know, going, he started to walk back towards the old way. And I, I remember when the veterans would say that and they were right that, that, that did happen. And then, and then, as you say, then, you know, well, ECW went, 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 went into the fold as around the same time as well. And then it was, yeah, there was, there was, as you said, that lack of competition really, yeah, sort of, yeah, creates a, you know, creates that, that open field for, for Vince to control the whole business and Vince McMahon to control the whole business. Overall, like WCW, did you like working there? Did you not like working there? I mean, obviously you love the wrestling business, but did you actually enjoy working for World Championship Wrestling? Yeah, I did. It was great. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was beyond my wildest dreams. You know, again, as a lifelong fan and and student and, and, and being around the business so much to, to actually be entrusted with, you know, the chair. And I, like, I, I would have never thought that that could happen. And, and, and once I got there and, and realized that I could, you know, I might not be the great storyline writer and I might not write a great promo, but you know, if, if we, if we got to, if we got to hit the crossover, I'll find a way to hit the crossover. Cause that's what we had to do. We had to get on, you know, get our hot segment six, one minute before raw came on the air. And that was, you know, that was my priority one, every, every show that we did, you know, a small, a small thing, but really important. And, you know, and then, you know, realizing other things I could do to contribute. Now, I, I mean, no, I, I wasn't even sure how that stuff worked. <laughs> so to, to, to learn it and to end up in the chair after six weeks was, yeah, that, that's, that's an amazing, amazing experience. You know, totally grateful for it. And such a fascinating story and a unique story too. Cause it's like, okay, he's from the music world somewhat of a legend there obviously but then he's like okay he's got wrestling friends but he comes to wcw and then they give him you know like quote unquote a push but backstage it's like they really elevated you backstage too so what a fascinating unique story they pretty much is just true to you yeah i mean it's it's funny i think in years years after that you know different people freddie prince jr different yep. you know different folks the business started to open up to other you know other entertainment people that could bring stuff in and now it seems it seems like it's, you know, at least with WWE, it's it's anything but wrestling people. <laughs> yeah. Which is crazy to think. Like, don't you need wrestling people? Yeah, they almost go too far the other way with it. Yeah, I mean, they've really embraced, you know, they're, they've really embraced, you know, they've really embraced social media. They've really embraced outside entertainment talent. And, you know, I, I mean, they, you know, they have a, they have a, they have a plan and they, they definitely stick to their plan, it seems.
Um, I mean, AEW is, is, you know, real close to, you know, I think it's a really good product mix that they have, you know, they, you know, they're really into clean finishes. They, you know, everything seems to make sense, even if on the surface it doesn't at first, which is exactly what pro wrestling is supposed to be. Um, yes. I mean, there's hope. I mean, I'm a big new Japan guy, so, you know, I, I, I like, I like good in-ring work and I like sort of, you know, the old fashioned booking, you know, I guess, you know, the way that Sam Muchnick used to book St. Louis, you know, where everybody goes up and down the card and everything leads to the next show and everything makes sense. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I like. But, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, different products, different mixes. You know. Do you watch current New Japan? Are you a big fan of Okada? Um, I, he's a, he's a great world champion. I mean, I'm. I'm a big Shingo guy, big Osprey guy. I think those two together is the best match that you, anybody can offer right now. Um, I'm glad that they have those two guys and they always have that match to go to when they need it. Um, I mean, they got lost. I like, you know, I like the push that they gave uh, Zack Sabre Jr. recently. He's, you know, great hand. And I, I like this trend recently where people are really getting into technical wrestling you know i think the stuff with you know moxley and danielson you know gresham people like that you know that that style is is back in vogue now after after a lot of tables and fluorescent lights that were sort of going back to wrestling makes me happy as a as a longtime fan so yeah i mean i, I still you know still keep tabs on it not as not as deep into it as i used to be but I still like to watch the watch, you know, good in ring stuff. That's great because there's some wrestling I see, and I think of like it's old school, like you know, FTR kind of mimicking a lot of like Midnight Express or doing oh, yeah. no and stuff. I mean, I love that stuff, but it's funny that that really stuck out. But back in the day, it wouldn't because you were used to all these good wrestlers. It's funny. It's now it's not as to me anyway. My the style I like. There's not as many good wrestlers. Yeah, I think again, again, you know, to me, like with. You know, when I, you know, my compliment to Vince Russo for having something for everybody, but you have to really pick the time and place for it. I think it's the, you know, I think it's the same with, you know, with the, with the new, with the new products and the new, you know, how much traditional do you mix in with the, you know, with the, with the super modern style. And, and I guess for, for me, just as a, as a fan now, it's, I guess my litmus test is, how blatant is the cooperation? That's sorry. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. like, like, like when it starts to look like a Buzzley Berkeley musical, you know, I'm just sort of like, okay, this is really not professional wrestling. This is like some other form of sports entertainment that requires the utmost of cooperation. So I, I, I like it when it's more, when it's a little more in question, are they cooperating? Is, is this as stiff as it looks? Is it safe and stiff? Is does the story make sense at the end? I guess that's the kind of stuff that I, you know, when I look at the products now, I'm, I, I get drawn to the ones that are not fully cooperating all the time, or, or at least looking, you know, where, where it looks, it looks snugger and a little more believable. I, I sort of like that kind of wrestling. As we head towards the finish, we head towards the wind down here. What is just, 
even writing and being creative in WCW and, and you know doing the time cues and, and being on the headsets and even you know legendary music career who's uh, do even a little bit of Foo Fighters creating the Daily Show theme like what's the legacy of Bob Mold like put, put like if somebody said Bob Mold what's the stamp you're leaving behind what's what's your legacy what's my legacy I don't know just uh, I'm, uh, I think I think I've got, I may have gone the furthest with the least. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I, I always tell people, I, I think I'm, I think I'm a really good storyteller. I think I'm a pretty good songwriter. I think I'm a really good rhythm guitarist, not a very good lead guitarist. I, I got an okay voice, nothing special. Uh, I've done a lot with, uh, blunt instruments and raw materials. <laughs> I think, I, I think, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of like if there was a wrestling analogy, I think Paul Heyman was the guy that could get the most out of people with, you know, less than a complete skill, you know, toolkit. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm always one that I like to highlight what I could do really well. And I don't like to take on things that I don't do well. So I sort of protect myself in that way, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, you know, yeah, I just, you know, hardworking, hardworking music fan that got to be a musician. And then I was a, you know, got to have a sec, got to have an additional life as a lifelong student of the wrestling business and a big fan and got to, got to try to try to improve a product that I worked on for seven months. It's yeah. Sort of co- good stuff. So as far as you, obviously, you know, you got the tour going on, bobmold.com would be a great place for everybody to check out if they want, but please give us all the plugs and, you know, just tell us a little bit more about the tour and everything else you got going on. Yeah. I think if anybody wants the overview and and the history together, go to bobmold.com. If you want sort of as it's happening kind of stuff, you could go Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all three, you could go to Bob mold music, B O B M O U L D music. Um, got a lot of touring this year. I'm up in the Northeast in May. I'm going to be over in the UK for the whole month of June. Got a handful of things with the band in July in the Midwest and, uh, September, October, have some more solo electric touring. Uh, the most recent recorded, uh, new album is called blue hearts that came out in September, 2020 on merge records worldwide. And in October of 2020, uh, I was working with a British label called Demon Records. It's part of the BBC. And we put together a 24 CD career retrospective box set titled Distortion. So that's uh, that's available on Amazon and, you know, all all music, of course, across all streaming platforms. Yeah, there lots of lots of stuff. Awesome. It's good to see, uh, you know, keeping busy. Any uh, chance of a return to the wrestling business? What do you think? Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, a, maybe a, maybe a workshop program with Jim Cornette. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Jim. He's, he's great, but he, he actually, actually, no, scrap all that. I don't want to mess with him. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Yeah, definitely not. Hey, uh, maybe Sullivan, Kevin Sullivan, our, our buddy, he'll give you a call and he'll get something for you. Hey, Bob, I got, I got something for you, brother. Oh my God, we, I mean, we, we had uh, d- 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 Kevin and I had such great times. He, he was so generous with his, with his wisdom and with his time. I mean, many, many evenings sitting up, you know, at the, at the, at the end of a booking day, you know, just sitting up all night talking about 
you know, whatever it would be, you know, you know, how, cra how crazy was Detroit in the seventies with the Sheik? you know, how, how, how gifted was the late Bobby Shane, you know, how, how about, you know, or sitting with JJ and talking about those crazy, you know, loser washes the donkey stuff and Amarillo in the sixties and seventies. I mean, just great experiences with, with Kevin Sullivan and with JJ Dillon and with all the guys there. I mean, everybody, you know, you know, you know, Kevin Nash and, you know, so sad, for Scott Hall's passing. I was close with Scott. We spent a lot, spent a lot of time off the clock together and he was always so generous to me and it was a terrible loss this year. So yeah, I mean, but, but yeah, just great, great memories of that time. Awesome stuff, Bob. Thank you so much uh, for all the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, John. And, and thanks to all the listeners and uh, hope to see you at one of the shows or somewhere, somewhere down the long road. Take care, everybody. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at two-man power trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother.